Father, I thank you for this service this morning. I thank you that the Holy Ghost is with us and in us. Thank you, Father, for utterance to speak your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, folks, we, this is not an unusual scripture to use. We talk a lot about being redeemed from the curse of the law. We go back into the Old Testament and see that the curse of the law was threefold. First, it was spiritual death. You remember when God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day thereof they eat, they shall surely die. That's spiritual death, not natural death. We also have found out that the curse of the law includes sickness and disease. And it includes poverty. And instead, because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, he provided for us eternal life. He provided for us healing for our bodies and abundant provision. So we, we cover the, the Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law part concerning the blessing of Abraham. But lo, notice that last phrase in verse 14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that? Well, we'll go back. There's a lot of places we could look for it in the Old Testament. We'll just pick one in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. God said, to, talking to Israel, he said, I'll take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. He's talking about the new birth. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So God said, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and shall cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Now here's the promise of the Old Testament. For God's spirit to live within us. To dwell within us. That's all God ever wanted. When he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were of him. He had breathed in them the breath of life. So the source of their life was his himself, his very essence, his very being had been imparted to them. And so here he says in retaining or redeeming man from sin that Adam and Eve brought upon themselves and brought upon the world, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. Now, Jesus expanded on that a little bit. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John, in, uh, at the Last Supper with his disciples, beginning in verse 16, he said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Notice that, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. How, we, how will we know him? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Notice he talks about the Holy Spirit in two different ways. He'll be, he will be with you and he shall be in you. Now, folks, the Spirit of God being with us is different than him being in us. If language means anything at all, Jesus is talking about two different, two separate works of the Holy Ghost. We know the work of the Holy Ghost in us is the new birth. That's what Ezekiel was just talking about. A new heart will I give within you and a new spirit I'll put within you. That's the Holy Ghost within. 
But Jesus is talking about another work of the Holy Ghost too. He said the Spirit of God will be with us. He will be with us. I wanted you to look with me in beginning in John chapter 20. Let's see where the church was born. Let's see how the church began. Verse 19, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now notice their condition. Notice the, the place they are as far as their emotions are concerned regarding Jesus and his crucifixion. They were assembled together in this place for fear of the Jews. When Jesus was crucified, the disciples were afraid that they were coming after them next. So here they are in this room where the doors were shut because of their fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, folks, when Jesus said, Receive the Holy Ghost, we know this is not the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is spoken of in, in chapter 2 of Acts. So when Jesus said, Receive the Holy Ghost, He's talking about something separate and something different that he told him to wait in Jerusalem until they got. Now, some people will ignore this verse of Scripture or this passage of Scripture, and they'll just say, well, Jesus was just talking about what he wanted for them in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. But if Jesus told them to receive the Holy Ghost and they didn't get anything, then he's a partner to a frog. When he said, receive the Holy Ghost, do you think they expected to get something? When he said, receive you the Holy Ghost, if they hadn't gotten something, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they have questioned Jesus and said, why'd you say that? If we don't get anything, why'd you say receive the Holy Ghost? Because you're telling us to wait in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost to when we'll, we will receive the Holy Ghost. Notice the next verse where he said, receive you the Holy Ghost. He said, whosoever sins are remitted unto them. Well, let me read it. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is in connection with the Holy Ghost that he just told them to receive. He's talking about the Holy Ghost regarding the remission of sin. Now, folks, what is the remission of sin? The remission of sin is your salvation in the Lord. The remission of sin is where he became sin for you who knew no sin so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. These men were born again when Jesus said, receive you the Holy Ghost. I'll prove it to you. Luke chapter 24. We're going to back up and start in verse 20, Verse 36. As they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Notice he didn't say flesh and blood. Because he's poured out his blood in the heavenly holy of holies. That blood that was shed and poured out on the altar in heaven produced a redemption for you and me. So he said, handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed unto them his hands and his feet, just like the account we read in John. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he spake unto them and said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooves Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins. Luke's got the same story that John tells us. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Luke leaves out the part where Jesus said, receive you the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are no, uh, none of the other accounts of the resurrection of Jesus has anything to say on that subject. And John probably writing his gospel some 60 years later than these others is probably trying to tie up the loose end and identify that Jesus told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's keep reading. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as the Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Wait a minute, lost my place here. Let's try it again. And he led them out as far as the Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now, folks, what happened to these guys? We just read in John chapter 20 that they were hiding behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Now they're openly in the temple praising and worshiping God. They're not hiding anymore. You're going to tell me something significant didn't happen in their lives? You're going to tell me they're still in the same place, the same condition where they were assembled for fear of the Jews behind closed doors? Something has happened. Something has changed these men. They're not afraid. They're out in the open. What do you think they're doing out in the open? Well, if they're going to the temple daily, openly, they're sharing the, the truth, the good news that Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, I want you to continue on with me into Acts chapter 1. Remember, Luke is the writer of the gospel that bears his name, but he's also the writer of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The former treatise he's talking about is the gospel that we just read from. Until the day he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. I think a lot of times we get the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead after three days, appeared to his disciples, told them to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and that was it. But folks, the day of Pentecost was 50 days from the day of Passover. So when Jesus was crucified on the day after the Passover, raised again in three days. Then of the, four, of the 50 days period, the, 50, the, the 47 days that are left after his resurrection, he's seen of them for 40 days. Jesus is popping in and out like crazy. And what's he doing when he appears? Well, he says that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Just like he told the disciples, reach out and touch me. Handle me. See that I'm not a spirit. Jesus still has his redeemed body. He's got the same body that he had here on the earth that was offered as a redemptive prize for mankind. The spirit of life and power of God came back upon him. He was the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn meaning born again. 
Folks, that's an astounding truth. Jesus was born again. Jesus offered his body and his blood, which both were necessary to pay the price for mankind. And because of that, because of carrying out God's plan and purpose for redemption of man, or the redemption of man, Jesus' body was redeemed, and he still has that redeemed body. So he told his disciples, handle me. Put your finger in the print of the nail. He still got holes in his hands. Thrust your hand into my side where the soldier uh, stabbed him with the spear. Imagine those days. If we see a vision of Jesus nowadays, it's something so strange and so supernatural that we sometimes have a hard time believing that it happened. These guys saw him after his resurrection for 40 days. being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days thence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking about freedom as a nation. And he said unto them, it's not, up to you, it's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now these guys already have the Holy Ghost within them. So if we use Jesus' terminology, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit connected with or conjoined with the remission of sin that's the spirit within but now he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high and that's the Holy Ghost with them you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven." Meaning if he went up into a cloud, he's coming back in a cloud. Now that cloud could be a, a literal cloud. Although we, we don't have any information, scriptural information in any other place where the clouds are vehicles for transportation. Or it could be the cloud of witnesses that the Bible says are looking over the grandstands of heaven watching us. We know when he's coming back, he's bringing them with him. So maybe that's the cloud that took him up. I guess we'll see when the time comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Here they are, born again, waiting in obedience to what Jesus said. They know what they're supposed to do. Jesus told them to go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into all the world and get people saved. He said go into all the world and make people disciples. The difference between somebody that's saved and somebody that's a disciple, Jesus said, is the continuing in the word. So they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. There's 120 of them in this upper room. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled and began to speak. They were all filled and began to speak with other tongues. Folks, when people are filled, they speak with other tongues. I know there are people in the body of Christ that say, well, I've got the Holy Ghost. I don't speak with other tongues, but I've got the Holy Ghost. Well, if they mean they've got the Spirit within them, they're right. But when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak with other tongues. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, remember, Jesus said you'll receive power from on high when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Was there power associated with this? Well, the Bible says that Peter begins to preach. And 5,000 people get saved. That sounds like power to me. And folks, there are five places in the New Testament where it tells us of someone, whether a single person or a group of people, are filled with the Holy Ghost. People, there are some people in the body of Christ that will argue, try to make the point that they're filled with the Holy Ghost as they believe, but they don't speak with other tongues. There are others that will say it's not God's will for everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are others that will say some will be filled with the Spirit, but without speaking with other tongues. But folks, if we get the same thing they had, shouldn't we have the same evidence as they had? We know that everybody that's saved has the same evidence of that salvation. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list of nine things, nine characteristics. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, and so forth. We know that salvation brings those characteristics into our lives. Now, we may not develop them. It's up to the individual whether they develop themselves in love, walk in love, and continue to grow in the knowledge of these things. So whether somebody does anything with them or not is up to them. But every person that's ever been born again has those character traits transmitted to them by the Holy Ghost that comes within them. Wouldn't it be stupid to try to make the point or try to make an argument to say, I'm, I'm saved, but I didn't get the stuff to walk in love? That might be a convenient position to take, but it certainly wouldn't be scriptural. Well, we see that all of them were filled here in Acts chapter 2. So in the 120 in the upper room, there weren't any that were left out. There weren't any that were not filled by God's will. But they were all filled and they all began to speak. Let's look at the next example in Acts chapter 8. First couple of verses tell us about the persecution that was taking place. Verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, folks, notice that it doesn't say Philip healed everybody in the city. It says many that were taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. It doesn't say all. It says many. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. He's working by supernatural powers, but it's not God. But the people are tricked, deceived 
into thinking that he is of God. To him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Folks notice that they make a distinction. The Bible makes a distinction between salvation and the operation of the Holy Ghost when we're born again and his spirit comes to live within us. And receiving the Holy Ghost or the power of the Holy Ghost that provides power for the Christian life. Those are two separate things. For as yet he was fallen, for as yet the Holy Spirit was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter and John laid hands on them, the people that were already saved, people that were born again in the city of Samaria. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy, the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Give me also this power, that upon whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, some people would say, in just a casual reading of this story, they'll say, well, it doesn't say here that they were filled with, or spoke with tongues when they were filled with the Spirit. Well, let me ask you something. What did Simon see? When he saw that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he wanted that power too, and he offered him money. Now, if there wasn't something to see, why would he offer money to get it? I mean, he's used to deceiving people about what's going on. If it wasn't clear and evident by the experiences taking place here in the city of Samaria, then why didn't Simon just start go around telling people he had that power? Now, there was something that was evidence. There was something that was proof of, the whole, of receiving the Holy Ghost. So he offers them money, seeking the same power. But Peter said unto, them, said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for their heart is not right in the sight of God. Do you see that in verse 21? Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. You look up that word matter. It's translated a bunch of different ways throughout the, the Bible. It's translated sayings. It's translated communication. It's translated utterance. So this matter, I don't know if it's just a, a, a case of the translators bailing out because they probably weren't filled themselves when they were translating the, the King James Bible. So I don't know if it was just a simple matter of them bailing out or taking an easy way out or if there's something else involved. But this word matter could be, could be and should be translated communication or utterance. So if there's communication or utterance connected with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 8, wouldn't we expect it to be the same communication or utterance that we saw in Acts chapter 2? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, this saying, this communication, this utterance. Look with me to chapter 9. Here's the third example. This is the Apostle Paul when he's converted. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. He's just been a partner to Stephen's stoning. And he continues his violence against the church. 
So Paul went to the high priest, or Saul went to the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus and to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about Christianity, believing in Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me do? Now, folks, I want to submit to you that Paul asked the two biggest questions that every Christian should ask and make the pursuit of his life. Who are you, Jesus, and what would you have me do? But more specifically, I want to point out, especially the second time that he says, Lord, what would you have me do? He's called Jesus Lord twice. Now, the first time he called him Lord, he didn't know who he was. So that probably wouldn't count towards salvation. But Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Two requirements. Believing that Jesus is raised from the dead and confessing in his Lord. Paul does just exactly that in the second question he asked. What would you have me do, Lord? He knows it's Jesus. Jesus just identified himself. And he confesses him as Lord. But Paul's born again. If the Bible's true on the requirements of salvation, then Paul just got born again with the light shining around about him, laying on his back in the dirt and unable to see. And the Lord said unto him, uh, it skipped around on me again. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Paul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judah. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard many by many of this man how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to, call, to bind all that call on thy name. In other words, Ananias is saying, Lord, if we've got him down and he can't see, this might be a good time to leave him alone. But the Lord said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. You wouldn't call him a brother unless he was born again. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it, been, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now you might say, well, it doesn't say here that Paul spoke with tongues. No, it doesn't. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18 Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. When did Paul begin to speak with other tongues? Was it possible he began to speak with other tongues when the rest of the church began to speak with other tongues when they received the Spirit? The 120 in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues. Paul began to speak with other tongues at some point. We don't have any other reference in the history, the detailed history of Paul in his ministry 
where he received anything else from God that would bring with it the speaking of other tongues? I believe that if Paul spoke with other tongues, he began and he started when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like everybody else we have record of. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 starts off and tells us about Cornelius. He was a Roman, but he believed in God and he gave alms to the poor. And because of that, his prayers and his alms were a memorial unto God. He received a vision and an angel told him to send to Joppa for a man named Peter. Well, while he does that and the people are on their way to where Peter is, Peter's on the housetop waiting for lunch to be ready, and he has a vision. Remember, the vision was this giant sheet which contained all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean, according to the law of Moses. And a voice spoke to him and said, Rise and kill and eat. This happens three times in each time Peter says, not so, Lord, he's still being held in bondage to the law of Moses. And at the end of that vision that occurred three times, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there are three men downstairs who are seeking for you. They're looking for you. Go with them without any, any questions. So he goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius tells him about the vision that he had of the angel and what the angel told him to do. Peter puts that together with the vision that he had and he begins to identify his understanding of what has happened. He says, I now understand that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's not one being a Jew that's clean and another being a Gentile that's unclean, the blood of Jesus has made all men equal. And so he begins to speak to them about Jesus and the things that happened with his death, burial, and resurrection. And verse 44, it says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do they know the Holy Ghost was poured out on them? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So apparently, the people in Cornelius' house got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost all in one swap. At one time, one experience, salvation, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost takes place. Acts chapter 19. Verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Verse 5 tells us that they were born again. And then when Paul laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point out something else to you in verse 2. Notice what he said unto them. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Here's Paul who finds these disciples, people that evidently love God. You know, when you believe God, believe God's word, when you put his word in practice in your life, when you love God, people can see that in your life. Paul saw something in these disciples that made him believe that they were born again. So he says to those that he believes are born again, believes that are saved, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit 
since you believed. The since you believed is, is referencing salvation. So Paul doesn't consider it a strange thing at all for people that he identifies or thinks are born again, thinks have been saved, thinks have received eternal life, to have a second experience with the Holy Ghost, which means they're filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit and, begins to, and they begin to speak with other tongues. He doesn't consider that a, an odd thing. Questioning him further, he finds out they don't know about Jesus. They've just heard about John the Baptist. So Paul tells them about Jesus. They accept what he has to say. They believe the preaching of Jesus. And as a result, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul makes sure that they're born again before he does anything about filling, laying hands on them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Two separate experiences. They happen one right after the other, but they're two separate experiences. So he laid hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, as I mentioned, is a, a list of nine things, nine characteristics that come upon every believer, every person that makes Jesus the Lord of their lives. Verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now the Bible tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Paul wrote the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost when we're born again. So the love of God is the, is the evidence of salvation. The joy of God is the evidence of salvation. Did you notice how many times it spoke of joy when we read about people receiving the Lord in their lives? It tells us in, that the disciples, when they went and stayed and tarried in Jerusalem, until the day of Pentecost, it tells us that they were filled with great joy and that's why they were in the temple praising and worshiping God. Acts chapter 8, we just read, there was great joy in the city of Samaria. Why was there great joy? Because people were multiplied, multiplied in being born again. So we see that joy is identified with people being saved. I think we could identify peace when the disciples were visited by Jesus, when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They no longer are hiding behind closed doors because they're afraid of the Jews. Peace rules in their lives instead of fear. Now I want you to look with me to another set of nine things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4, it says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now the Spirit within us is always there. He's always there with the characteristics of salvation, known as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. But these displays of power, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits and so forth, gifts of healings and working of miracles. These manifestations of the Spirit, they're not manifestations of the individual. These manifestations of, of the Spirit happen as the Lord wills. We can't just go out and claim one of these or more of these manifestations of the, of the Spirit and try to use them at our, at our own discretion. These are things that take place by the working of God according to his will, not ours but his. Now, folks, think about what the Bible tells us about these last days. Here we are in the last days with things taking place and almost daily something else is being done or something else happens that the end time scriptures foretell and, and, and refer to. But one of the things that the Bible tells us about the last days is to pray for the rain. We know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So he's waiting for a harvest of souls. That's what the precious fruit of the earth is. He's waiting for people to flood in mass into the kingdom of God. But he also tells us that that work is going to be accomplished one and only one way, and that is by a moving of the Holy Ghost. So we're to pray for the rain or pray for the moving of the Holy Ghost. So when we're praying for the move of the Holy Ghost, what do we think is going to happen? What do we think is the end result of those prayers? Are we asking for a move of the Holy Ghost, a move of love, or a move of joy, or a move of peace? Folks, those are things that should be evidence in our lives. Those are things that we should even have more faith in and more expectation concerning than any other time that we've been here on this earth. But the work of the Holy Ghost that is to result from our prayers for the rain are displays of this kind of power. Let me remind you again of what Jesus said to the disciples. He first got them saved by breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he said, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Wait until you have the power of the Holy Spirit before you start your ministry. Now, folks, there had to have been some and I don't think it was a large number, but there had to have been some that the disciples would have found in the temple after they had been born again. And I'm sure there were questions that were asked by certain ones who knew who they were, perhaps. And so there, there had to have been some number of people that had been born again between Jesus' crucifixion or Jesus' resurrection, I should say, between Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, there had to have been some. Again, it might have been a small number, I don't know. But there had to have been some that were born again during that period of time. 
nothing precluded or, or uh, prevented people from being born again at that point in time. Yet Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So where there may have been, let's say, 10 people, where in this 47-day period, maybe 10 people were close enough to the disciples to ask questions about, about them, about Jesus or whatever, we know in one place the scripture says that Jesus was seen before the day of Pentecost, between his resurrection and the day of Pentecost, by more than 500 people at one time. Well, that had to draw some attention to some, from somebody, don't you think? Another question I have is if 500 people saw him at one time between his resurrection and the crucif- between his resurrection and the day of Pentecost, then how come there's only 120 in the upper room? What did the 380 people that weren't there have to do that was more important? But when the Holy Ghost was poured out, that small number instantly multiplies. Thousands of people, 5,000 people to be accurate, commit their hearts to the Lord, give themselves under receiving salvation. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and John get the man at the beautiful gate healed. The result of that were thousands of people being born again. The power of the Holy Ghost in just a short time sweeps multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. Folks, that's what we're praying for. That's what asking the Lord for the rain is praying for. I wonder, just as Jesus was seen of the disciples in a 47-day period, again, between the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, Luke tells us that he was seen 40 days. 40 of those 47 days, he was seen of the disciples. I wonder if we're going to see Jesus as we approach the end, like they saw Jesus as they approached the beginning. The Bible talks about the, the work of the Holy Ghost, bringing forth the harvest of souls. By both the early and the latter rain. Folks, that says to me, that everything that we saw and everything that's recorded that God did by the working of the Holy Ghost in the early days of the church, we're going to see that along with the things that are outlined and identified as just for the last days too. And I want to draw something else to your attention. We've already made mention of the times that joy was identified as people received Jesus into their hearts and made him the Lord of their lives. In these days of distress, perilous times that Paul talked about, strength-reducing times, 
I believe these are going to be days of great joy for the church. I believe the joy of the moving of the Holy Ghost, the result of the work of the Holy Ghost as identified by the early and the latter rain, I believe the joy of the church will be so great we won't even care what the politicians are doing. We won't even care what governments are taking, uh, is taking place by their rule. Won't that be great? But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. One last scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice it says, let the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's by choice. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Folks, one of the, the results of speaking in other tongues and praying in other tongues is that the Holy Ghost will give you a song. He'll give you a song to pray or to sing about the goodness of God about his love, his steadfast, steadfastness, his faithfulness. The more you pray in the spirit, the more you speak in other tongues, the more place it gives the Holy Ghost to lead you in these last days. One of the things Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do is he'd bring all things to our remembrance. God's made a way for us for supernatural communication. Paul, the one that said he spoke in tongues more than the Corinthian church, which is what they were known for, he's the one that tells us how that speaking in other tongues edifies us. That word edify means to strengthen. It literally means to put the house on the roof or put the roof on the house. We might use the example of recharging our batteries. I wonder how he found that out by speaking and praying in other tongues. These last days are days of the Spirit of God. They should be days of speaking and praying in other tongues. Now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute, please? Before we go this morning, I want to give every person here an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit and to speak with other tongues. So if you're here this morning, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to make sure that you have been and are born again, I'm going to ask you very simply just to raise your hand for just a moment. Then you can put it back down. All right. The next thing I want to ask you is if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I'm talking about the same experience that we see happen in the book of Acts. The same experience these five examples provide for us. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I want to ask you just to raise your hand right where you are.
I see four or five hands. Notice some more in the back. All right, you can put your hands down. If you really mean business with God, if you really want to be filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues, there's a gentleman over here by these doors into the lobby that's going to have his hand raised. He's going to take you to the prayer room where you'll be prayed for and ministered to. It won't take long, but it's up to you to make the next move. God made the move by sending the Holy Spirit. It's up to you to make the move to receive him. So if you lifted your hand to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I'm going to ask you to move out from where you are seated and follow this gentleman with his hand up over here by the front doors. If you came with somebody, they'll wait for you. Hallelujah. Looks like it was eight or ten people. Let's all stand in the congregation. Let's pray for those that have gone to the prayer room to be filled with the Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you're always true to your word. We thank you for filling each and every one of these with the Spirit of God and make it easy for them by the anointing of God to receive and to speak. Thank you, Father, that their lives will never be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, they've got lunch set up for us in the fellowship hall. We hope you can stay in fellowship with us. So we're dismissed, and you can make your way out toward wherever they're going to send you from this point forward. <laughs>